1: afternoon and welcome to authentic living with andrea matthews over the next hour you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns you'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life now here's your host andrea matthews
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we've been told that we have to have the dark to enjoy the light, sort of giving dark an excuse to uh, to exist. But most of us don't stop to ask why we need the dark to enjoy the light. Why do we need uh, evil to prove good? Why do we need to suffer in order to know joy? Who said these things? These ideas are all products of a trance state in which we have all lived for centuries. They're products of the duality trance state. But if one of the benefits of evil is that it proves goodness, is it really evil? And if darkness proves the light, is it really darkness? Contrasts in a picture highlight the edges of objects. Is that what we're looking for? Something to highlight the ends of one thing and the beginning of another? Why do we need this? So these are questions that we're going to talk about today. We're going to stand right in the middle of the conflicting contrasts that make up the weave and the woof of our lives and talk about it. So come find out what's true and false about the battle between good and evil today. Stay here. You're going to want to hear it all. Uh, so what is this thing about uh, our, our need to say why we have darkness? Well, I think it's one of our ways of explaining why there are bad things that happen to good people and why there's suffering in the world and, and why there are such things that we might even call evil. So we try to explain it away by making it nice. We sort of nice it up by saying Well, you know, we need the dark to make sure that we can see the light. We need sad times so that we can really understand joy. But I'm going to tell you something. When joy happens inside me, I I haven't needed darkness to tell me it's there. It happens inside me because I feel it, and that's all I need to know. So, you know, maybe you could say, well, I wouldn't be able to call it joy. Well, why would I need to? Why would I need to call it anything? It just is there. So, um, you know we, these definitions help us understand. I'm not sure they help us understand clearly, but they do help us at least understand our world in a way that we can sort of pinpoint things and say, "Okay, we we got this now." One of the biggest problems that I see with uh, clients who come into my office is that they they have this really difficult time adjusting to the reality of life on life's terms, and. I totally understand that. I've had trouble adjusting to life on life's terms myself. So I'm not saying that they're wrong to do that by any means. But I am saying that this whole question about why we suffer is huge. It's huge in all of our minds. Why do things happen to us? Why do we have gifts that we can use but nobody listens? Why do we, uh, um, are we in a particular job and can't get out of it? Why did my father die when I was three years old? Why? And these are all questions that, uh, that we we ask and, and we want an answer. And so we've devised these answers that seem to make sense to us in our uh, sort of a boxed-in way of thinking about life. So we've decided that, well, there's a reason for, for darkness. There's a reason, reason for sadness. There's a reason for suffering. There's a reason for uh, bad things to happen. They help us learn about the good things. Well, First, I want to be clear, I don't, I, I don't want to say there's not a reason for our suffering. I certainly don't want to say that. But I do want to say, when we say that the reason darkness or evil exists is to prove goodness or light, then we might be really getting closer to the understanding of good and evil than we know. Because when we look at the definitions of good and evil, they're really hard to define. Good is good because somebody acts like they're good in our presence, and we know them to be good, and so they're good people. We don't know what they're doing in, in the closets of their lives. We don't know what we might say about what they're doing in the closets of their lives. We don't know what their fears are. We don't know what their excuses are. We don't know what their rationalizations are. Um, so if a very wealthy man gives a big sum of money to uh, an organization, we say, well, he was really a good man to do that. That was a wonderful gift he gave, and that was a wonderful he's a wonderful man for giving it. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he gave it for a tax break. Maybe he gave it to look good. Maybe he gave it for all kinds of reasons that don't really ring true when we think about our definition of goodness. So really, essentially, good means not bad. And bad means not good. So they rely on each other for their definition. And if you take the definition of one away, you've also lost the definition of the other. Therefore, neither one of them really exists. Now, that's kind of a syllogism, and I recognize that. But th- the point is that we're, we're making comparisons between good and evil that have no validity because one is based on the other. Um, and... And so when we think in terms that are about good and bad, we have to find an excuse for the bad. It's got to make sense to us. And one of the things I know that, and I'm sure many of you also know, is that things get really blurry around the edges sometimes. Things get really confusing when we have lost someone or when we've, we've um, reached the end of some rope in our lives or when we have reached the end of a relationship or a job that we really loved or, you know, something else. When we reach those ends, those edges are not very clear. And we want them to be. We really do. We want them to, to, to be able to explain them and say, okay, this is why this is happening, and I see that edge very clearly now, and I know what's going on, so let me just take my next step. In other words we want to get a logical answer but when it gets close to the edges logic seems to disappear and the only thing that's left is a bunch of feelings that we can't really understand even or sometimes even wrap words around so when we when we try to make things all black and white what we're really doing is taking some of the meaning out of life because it's in those blurry edges that we find ourselves at deeper levels. And if there's any reason at all for suffering, it's that. It's not because suffering teaches us that we also can have joy. That's really kind of silly when you think about it. I have to You have to smack me around so that I can recognize joy? Seriously? I don't think so. So when we're talking about this whole thing of black and white, dark and light, suffering and, and joy illness and wellness, life and death, these seemingly opposite polarities, what we're really saying is this is how we understand life. We're not saying we're right, although many of us will stomp on that one and stand there forever, staunchly uh, uh, arguing for our rightness. But, but we are saying we're, we're certain. And that certainty thing makes us feel secure. In fact, the biggest fear we all have is fear of uncertainty. Fear, the reason we're afraid of death is because we don't want to know what's going to happen afterward. The reason we're afraid of illness is because we don't know what, what that will mean in terms of its outcome. The reason we're afraid of just about anything we're afraid of is because at the bottom line, we don't know what's going to happen. And that is our biggest fear. So if I can't control my reality, then I'm afraid. You know, one of the biggest reasons we suffer is because we're trying to control our realities. And I'm just as guilty of that as the next guy. So, again, I'm not judging anyone for that. But I am saying that our understanding of of what we should be able to control and what we shouldn't be able to control is very skewed along the lines of some magical thinking. Some ideas that if I do X, Y, and Z, then this will happen. Our law of attraction, has our understanding of the law of attraction has been largely based in that kind of thinking that says, if I do my vision board and if I think positive thoughts and if I um, say my affirmations many times a day or say them in my meditation in the morning and let it go during the day, if I do these things, then I will have what I want. And that's a bargain. If I then, if I give you this $2.38, you'll give me that loaf of bread. Of course, I remember when buying a loaf of bread was 35 cents, but, you know, whatever. The bargain is a bargain, right? So that's the same way it is when we bargain with with these kinds of of universal laws. We tell ourselves, this is the truth, and I know it. I know it, and I'm going to keep affirming it, and I'm going to make it true inside my head. There's a wonderful thing, a wonderful story about what's inside of our heads. Uh, it's a Zen Mondo, and I really love it. It says, the master said to Fayin, last night I heard you say several times that everything is only mind. Is that so? Indeed, yes, Fayin said. That boulder over there, the master said, is it inside or outside of the mind? Inside. It's inside the mind, said Fayin. Well, monk, the master said, you're going to be carrying a very heavy burden on your travels through China. Fayin could not answer. I love that because when we're talking about what's in and outside the mind, we're determining what how we will feel. We're determining how we will live our lives. We're not determining any external reality at all. I want to make that really clear. We are not determining any external reality at all. We are only saying what is in our own mind. So this guy says when he looks at the mountain, it's only in his own mind. And actually, that's some of the teaching we've gotten from The Course in Miracles. I don't know whether the teaching is skewed or The Course in Miracles was off on that point. I don't think there's any uh, literature out there that's inerrant. So The Course in Miracles can be wrong. (gasps) What did I just say? The Course in Miracles could be wrong? Oh my gosh. Did lightning strike somewhere around me? Well, the truth is that just like the Bible, we've sort of made The Course in Miracles inerrant but it can be errant just like anything else. And if it says that that chair is not really a chair, that airplane crash was not really an airplane crash and it's all in your mind, then what it's saying is that that chair is is in your head. So you're carrying around a chair all the time. That airplane crash is in your head. Therefore, you're carrying around a chair, I mean, an airplane crash all the time. So, is that what we really want to do? Is that how we want to look at reality, as if it's all in our own minds? Because that's what we're being encouraged to do by the Course in Miracles. It's not really real. It's just an illusion we've created. I don't think so. So, what is real? What is false? How do we know what's true and false? Well, we have to go inside ourselves to seek those truths, and that's the only place we're going to find it. When we land firmly in that deeper essence of who we are, and walk beside the river that flows or jump in the river and let it carry us either way we we are inside ourselves and there is absolute freedom in there and there's no mountain in there there's no chair in there and there's no airplane crash in there it's just raw usness raw meanness raw i amness that's all that's there so what does that mean about light and dark well maybe it means that they're the same thing Now, how is that possible, Andrea? I'm looking at the night sky, it's obviously dark, and I'm looking at the sunshine, and it's obviously light. Yes, on one side of the world it's light, and on the other it's dark. Hmm, is light light, or is light also dark? Well, these are questions that that we have to ponder philosophically. Uh, If we're going to get to the bottom of them, and we could talk about that for 24 hours and never get to the bottom of it, because like planet Earth dangles in outer space based only in gravity, in its connection by gravity to other planets and the sun, that is how we live. We live with just as much uncertainty about our lives. One of the things that I loved about Blaise Pascal, one of the statements he made that I love so much was, it's not certain that everything is uncertain, And I really love that because it allows us to be free to be uncertain. Being uncertain, though, scares the living daylights out of many of us. And so we will fight till the bitter end to prove that we are absolutely right about something we know absolutely nothing about. (laughs) We're kind of stupid that way, aren't we? Well, here's the thing if I'm fighting for it, what I'm really saying is I'm really terrified. I'm really scared that you're going to tell me that everything isn't certain. And if you tell me that, then I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I'll do with that information. I just don't know if I can handle that information. So I get really uh, rigid and hold on dogmatically to my certainty, and you will not shake me from it because I need it to feel secure. So anytime I see two people arguing about religion or politics or any other philosophical or economical or political stand, I just, I'm watching to see which of those two is gets the most red-faced. <laughs> and that's the one I'm assuming is the most afraid. And, of course, I'm making an assumption when I do that. But I am doing that because I, I, I truly believe that we don't fight for things that we don't have any fear base behind. So, okay, so what are we talking about then? What, why do we suffer? Well, you know, I'm going to just answer that with, I'm not certain why we suffer. Uh, if I could tell you why we suffered, then, I, you know, you should really be giving me lots of money for that information. But I can tell you what I think about why we suffer, and I want you to think about What I'm going to say and you get to decide whether or not you agree as in everything else on this show you get to decide whether or not you agree you can take that information and wad it up like a a piece of paper and throw it away you can flush it you can do anything you want to with it Um, but it's just because it's just information and of it I am not certain and I will confess that I am certain of one thing and that is that I'm not certain of anything. Um, so, uh, you know, when we talk about why we suffer, one of the things that I see come out of suffering, um, I'm not sure it's why we suffer, but I do think it's what I see come out of suffering, if we allow it, is that we come to know ourselves at the deeper levels where the edges aren't clear, where an end doesn't always mean an immediate beginning, where, where darkness is means solitude um, and light might be loud and too um, interfering or um, intrusive on our space where, uh, where where joy comes in a quiet moment instead of a, an amazing uh, event that occurs like a graduation or a marriage or getting a new job or getting rich or winning the sweepstakes or any of those things Joy would not be relative in this case to an external event, but just from the quietness of being. So in those, in those moments, when I see people evolve into that place through their suffering, I know that something very profound is happening. And people are changed forever by that kind of thing. They don't They don't ever go back to that old, Way of being, if they're changed at that really base, basic meanness at that level where they see themselves as who they are, not fraught with a bunch of faults. You know, people say, Well, if I see myself for who I am, I'm going to find out all my faults. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm seeing, talking about seeing even below that to the deepest regions of who I am that are not attached to some understanding we have of good and bad. And if, we, if you've ever experienced that place where inside of yourself where it's not about trying to label something, it's not about whether whatever it is that's inside you is good or bad, it's not about trying to wrap your head around it in any kind of intellectual way that would want to name it. It's just about beingness. It's just about being present in that moment of beingness. And from those moments, we are, we are altered. Our lives become different because of those moments. And suffering all, almost always gives us the opportunity to touch the hem of those moments and find out who we are. So if I had to say why we suffer, it would be for that. Although, I can't say that that's why we suffer. I just know that's what very often comes out of it. So we're going to be talking about that some more right after the break. You want to stay here for this because it can answer some really vital questions. We'll be back in just a minute.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Have you considered yoga to promote balance in your life? Join host and senior Bikram yoga instructor Jim Callick for Yoga is Life Radio. On this show, we will show you that yoga is for anyone and everyone. Just as air, water, and life is for everyone, so is yoga for everyone. Yoga is totality, equilibrium, union, balance. Yoga is life. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There are no limits to what you can do. Start a new direction in your life today.
1: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795 You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. A.I.H.T. offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At A.I.H.T., you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a doctor of philosophy or a Ph.D., a doctor of ministries or a D.M.N., or in the holistic theology program a doctor of theology or a thd the programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology holistic health holistic ministries metaphysics and parapsychology these courses offer depth and meaning to your efforts to learn this means that in some of your coursework you can start at the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced levels as you move through your degrees for example in the holistic theology program you can take judaism 1 2 II, and 3 each, with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in our parapsychology program, you can take psychic skills 1, 2, and 3. Those are just a few of the examples. You can get the whole picture by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, as well as to become credentialed to bring that unique gift. the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. Do you want to know more? Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, that's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about this whole idea that we've had passed down to us generation after generation, that we need the dark to enjoy the light, sort of giving darkness an excuse to exist. We need evil things to happen in the world so we can prove that goodness really does exist. And I... Take exception to that. I disagree with that whole theory. I don't think we need darkness to prove light, and I don't think we need evil to prove goodness. I think that that uh, light exists in its own, and dark exists in its own, and they are not polarized. They are very often exist in the same space. Um, evil and good often exist in the same space. I know that within myself I have parts of me that I would not necessarily consider to be good if I use that language. Um, and yet it exists right next to the parts of me that I consider to be my best features. So um, what, what this idea of good and bad mean is something we've, we've used uh, over and over again to explain life. We put our bad guys in jail we uh, we promote the people that we think are good guys, although they very often turn out to be not so good guys. Um, there are uh, is, uh, some studies that are being done now that say that um, many of the world's CEOs are actually psychopaths. So, you know, being promoted doesn't necessarily mean you're a good guy. And in the dog-eat-dog world where it's bloody at the top, the people that are at the top generally know that. So... And they may facilitate it or they may fight against it, but whatever, they know it. So I'm not sure that we can necessarily say that either that good gets rewarded or that bad gets punished. Uh, So these ideas are ideas that are about to find their way out of our our thinking there are many people, not just myself, many people are beginning to question this whole concept of good and evil, and you know there's been other philosophers um who've done that over the years uh Kierkegaard is one of those who says that he chooses uh rather than choosing good or evil, he chooses uh good or good and evil or not good and evil um, and you know there's there's others Nietzsche was one there's many others, but I think we're beginning to get to a time where we're really begin going to be able to consider that because if my theory is true and I and of course I wouldn't have it if I didn't believe it was true the duality trance state is what we're living into and that duality trans state has us dividing life into um, categories and the category is it's good or it's bad my lover was a good lover my food was good food my my um, my my husband was a good husband my wife was a good wife my you know so we said everything is good that's the good category. So we say the same for the bad i had a bad boss i had bad food i had bad you know experience i had a bad automobile accident you know those kinds of things we say life is all divided up into those two categories and just generally speaking if if you know, when we think about how polarized those things are and how often they're used, I mean, daily, moment by moment, we're calling something good or bad, you have to say that there's something wrong with that. If all of life can be divided up into two small categories that are getting larger every day as we pack more things into them, there's something wrong with that picture. And there's no room for gray in there. You know, we don't. We don't say, well, he's a little bit bad. (laughs) We say he's a bad guy or he's a little bit good. We don't say that. They're either good or bad. And when we get to know them, uh, we find out that they're just people. They're not good or bad. They're just people struggling with people issues that come from all kinds of sources, from childhood to past lives to all kinds of things. So, when we're when we're struggling through our lives making decisions we're not making those decisions because they're good or bad we although many of us think we are we're making those decisions because we're afraid not to a serial killer doesn't kill because he thinks it's bad to do that and he glories in being bad although sometimes they do glory in the the the, uh, um, the world's understanding of them is bad but uh, they do it because they're afraid not to. They do it because if they don't kill again, they're going to be left with that feeling that, oh, I don't exist at all if I'm not proving myself to exist as a bad person. So in that sense, then, you could say that, that this theory is a sort of theory for why, we, why people become uh, psychopaths, that they identify with badness because their parents somehow need them to. And, you know, need them to be the bad guy. You're you're bad for doing that. You're bad for doing this. And you're bad for doing that. And the kid starts to go, well, that must be who I am. I'm a bad guy. So if I'm not bad, then do I exist at all? So every time they do something bad, they're trying to prove that they exist because there's a fear of not existing there in all of us. And so we prove our identities. We prove, we prove that we exist by identifying with something. I can identify with good in just exactly the same way and be sort of obsessed and driven to do good deeds all the time because that's how I see myself. And if I'm not doing something good, I feel empty and lost and don't know what to do with myself. So it works the same way whether you, whether you call it good or bad. Um, those identities are how we describe ourselves with certainty. This is who I am. This is what I do. Um, and and it's because of those identities that we have the good and evil uh, idea, the motif of good and evil. Not because they're real, but because we've identified with something, a philosophy, an archetype, an image of ourselves that, that says, well, this is who I am. I exist because I'm a bad guy. I used to go to prisons and do assessments. And uh, one of the things that used to happen there quite frequently was that um, – uh, men would say to me, "You need to stay away from me, lady because i 'm a bad dude and they would literally say that to me, and what I heard in that was that that 's how they saw themselves. This is who i am i 'm dangerous to you now if they 're really bad, why would they have warned me about themselves <laughs> you know that 's a contrast that they didn 't even see, but I saw it and and I also saw them um, doing kind deeds for in other inmates, like uh telling one one guy took an information from a daughter whose father hadn't spoken to her in a long time. He took the information to the father, and the father wept uh, after he got it. But guess where the guy, the inmate, the, took the information, put it? He put it on the guy's bed so so the guy would never know he did it because so, he didn't want to be seen as doing something good. So uh, we have these ways of identifying, and we cross off other options and as we're crossing off those other options, we're deciding who we're going to be this time. And when we do that, we're determining what's good and what's bad because that's how we've decided life is. And that's all a hypnotic trance state. Just like we can be hypnotized by our family dynamics where everybody in the family knows that we're not supposed to express emotions here. Or everybody in the family knows that we don't touch each other here. We don't, we don't hug We don't, we aren't, uh, we're kind of cool and indifferent to each other. Or everybody knows that, you know, you're all, you're supposed to be loyal to dad's politics regardless of how you really feel. Everybody knows it, but nobody's saying it. Nobody's saying now, this is how dad thinks and you need to think that way too. Nobody's saying it, but we all know it. How do we know it? Because we're picking up information that's unsaid. As we've said before, depending on which resource project you listen to, anywhere from 50 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. And if you're a child who doesn't even speak yet, that's all you're getting, all the nonverbal communication, and you're identifying with it. So that's how we develop our identities. So if it, you know, when we're doing that, we're, just, we're basing it on what other people think. This is the mirror that they're holding up for us to look in and define ourselves by. And there's always some kind of filtering there that has to do with good or evil. And, I mean, we, we you know, I found myself saying it just the other day. I was with my grandchildren and, and um, you know, uh, I was trying to, get, we were at a park and I was trying to get my grandson or my granddaughter one to walk a, a certain way down this narrow little path. and And when they did it, I said, good job. Or... I have lost myself a couple of times and said good boy or good girl and I had to catch myself and go wait you don't want to say that you want to say good job but either way I'm telling them what's good and what's bad and there were three. So, you know, when I'm when I'm doing that, I'm helping to find them and that's how our world works. And I had to rethink that as I was doing that and think if I could say something else that would help them understand that that yes, this is the thing that you're doing that you're doing well, but uh, I don't want to call it good, <laughs> so it's really hard for us to not use that language because it's so uh, we're so wrapped up in that kind of thinking we don't even know when we're speaking that language and And when you're conscious of it, and I've been conscious of it for several years, even then, I have trouble finding other words that don't fit in the good or bad category. so when we're when we're um, working through this process of what what really is true and false about what's good and evil, we have to ask ourselves, is this not something we are perpetuating? This whole idea that there's a good and an evil. Uh, There's many, many people out there who live in fear. They're making many of their life decisions based upon whether or not the devil uh, will be served by it. This uh, idea of themselves as avoiding evil this evil force that has a persona uh, that we call Satan uh, they're making many of their life decisions based on that and they're not doing it because they love love their God they're not doing it because they um, they want they love or compassionate or or feel led, led inside to take a certain path they're doing it because they're afraid not to do it Because they're afraid they'll be considered to be evil or that they're getting closer to the devil if they do that. Um, And that's not too far away from our thinking that we've got in this sort of the the new thought movement where it says that the ego is our enemy. The ego says to us that we are, you know, it wants to keep us down. It wants to keep us from having what we really truly want. It wants us to, What is the opposite. Ego is the opposite of the higher self. Um, so there's just another split off where we're doing the same exact thing and we're terrified that we're going to be operating out of ego. And what we want to do is get rid of that ego. There's been many people who've even been on Oprah's show. I love Oprah's show and, uh, and, and watch her Supercell Sunday religiously, <laughs> no pun intended. But, uh, you, you know, I hear some of them saying, well, I, I, I don't have an ego anymore. Yes, you do. You have an ego. Uh, you, your your ego is 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 a liaison between the inner and the outer world. That's all it is. It has no more power over you than to carry the weight of what you put upon it. So if I, uh, if, if I weigh it down with consciousness, then it's not going to know my, much about what goes on in my unconscious, and it's not going to uh, it's going to be sort of operating in the blind when it comes to what might come up and grab me and throw me around from my unconscious. On the other hand, if I weigh it down heavily with unconscious material, then I might operate out of the unconscious and might even have hallucinations and delusions about life. So there's a balancing beam there. And that's what the ego is. It's meant to be that balancing beam, a liaison between the inner and the outer world. And how strong it is, it's based entirely on how well we keep that balance. But and, we, and in mental health circles, we all know we need a strong, healthy ego. But there's people out there saying we need to get rid of that ego. And if we do, we are not going to know the difference between inner and outer anymore. We need that. We need to be able to dis- make that distinction. Uh, so when people say, I- I've gotten rid of my ego now, that's I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about what we're conveying there. Um, the interesting thing, even even with people who've done intense, deep, sacred uh, meditational studies on what it is to be a person, uh, like the Buddha, uh, you find in some of the sutras, the Buddhist sutras, that Tathagatagarbha is a term that's used that is both self and no-self. So, it's not, uh, we, don't w- we want to become no-self where we don't exist anymore. What we want to do is learn how to exist in form, as our deepest Buddha nature, our deepest Christ nature, our deepest divine nature. That's, that is the goal of Tathagatagarbha. It is to bring us there. So, you know, when you really study the deep sutras and get into the mystical meanings behind them, nobody's telling us there that we should in, become invisible, that we should not stop existing in terms of a self. So, you know, that, that, that language is, is still the same idea. There's an evil, and now it's not outside of me in the form of some persona that we call Satan. Now it's inside of me in the form of my ego, and I have to get rid of it. Now, what are we doing there? What, we, we're, what we're doing is we're not creating union, which is what Carl Jung talked about is creating a union that is wholeness. We're not, we're not putting our pieces together. We're taking them further apart. So that's not going to help us. You know what we need to be able to do is get to oneness where there is no duality where there is it, it, where we 're okay with uh, having blurry edges where we don 't have to distinguish this from that so much, but to be able to be in both at the same time that is the issue and if you 've been listening to the show for very long, we know it started centuries ago when our, when we first landed or got here or how we however we got here were created, however we got here. And I don't mean landed as an alien, coming down here from an alien spaceship. I mean just when we first got here. Um, we started living into a duality trance state because we began to see ourselves as separate from the divine. And from there, everything else has come. But there's a whole other way of thinking. There's a whole other way of being. And that's what we're going to talk about right after the break. So stay tuned for more. <music>
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers, but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness and the opportunity to connect with the ascended masters join tom schumacher and terry kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality live every tuesday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern time on the seventh wave channel On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out live every tuesday at 3 p.m pacific time 6 p.m eastern time on the voice america seventh wave channel
0: your path to wellness includes a body mind and spirit connection listen for guidance from above you are not alone featuring your host joe homar explore unknown parts of you access a vast array of possibilities that await you expand your energy field keep an open mind Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The answers you are seeking are within. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness.
2: Thanks for coming back. We are talking today about uh, the idea of darkness and light and whether or not the dark actually does prove the light or whether or not uh, evil really does prove good. And what we've said is no, those are not true concepts. What we're talking about today is the cutting edge of our next step in spirituality where we stop talking about um, being good people, stop talking about splitting ourselves off into ego and higher self and start talking about... The deepest essence of who we actually are, ego intact, with all of the messy thinking and all of the so-called good thinking mixed in together. Um, you know, if the duality trans state has been our state of mind for centuries, which I do believe it has, then what we've had to do in order to maintain that is to pretend that the divine is not in us. We've had to pretend that the divine does not exist inside of us and that we are not divine. We have had to pretend to ourselves that we are not who we actually are. And in that process, what's happened is the divine has been placed into the unconscious. But what's also been placed into the unconscious is lots of things that we've repressed in the name of goodness. So all those evil thoughts, quote unquote, that we have that are uh, that you know might make us get so mad we want to slap somebody, or might make us you know want to hurt somebody, or make us be vengeful with somebody, or make us uh, uh, steal something from someone because we think we need it more than they do, or I mean even if it's a pen, something as small as a pen, or. You know, uh, something from work, which they call white-collar crime. You know, these are the things we hide in the closets of our memory. So we don't want to really notice that we're up to this. But we are up to it. We do it. And, And that same ugly stuff exists in the same unconscious right alongside the divine self. So now, where's the good and where's the evil? You see, it's hard for us to really put our our heads around anything that says there's no such thing as good or evil. But I'm saying today, there is no such thing as good or evil. It's not just that evil doesn't exist. It's also that good doesn't exist. There's just beingness. Okay, So this is the cutting edge of our next stage of spiritual development and that's why it needs to be talked about. In the book that I wrote and published in 2013 called Inhabiting Heaven Now there's a lot of information about this so if you want to learn more about it go purchase the book. You can get it at Ken, uh, on Kindle or an e-book or uh, paperback as well. So, um, It's sold at all the major online outlets and you can get it there and, and read about this whole idea of morality because The subtitle is uh, The Answer to Every Moral Dilemma Ever Posed, because really morality is one of those mythologies that we've proposed to ourselves. It's not working. I mean, we've been doing this for, uh, you know, way past 2,000 years. 2,000 is what we've counted on the calendar, but go back way before that. We've been trying to be moral people since the beginning of time, and it's not working Is it? I mean, really, look around. There's just as much genocide and just as much murder, and now we've got our children being kidnapped and um, exposed to all kinds of sexual things, and, you know, it hasn't helped. Our morality isn't working, okay? It's not working. And we've been trying the same old thing, looking for different results for centuries. There's another plan. There's another option. Here's that option. We become who we are, and then we don't need morality anymore. The laws, the moral laws, are only only put there by, because we believe we're not gods. We only, believe, we only have these laws because we don't believe in who we actually are. Once we begin to see who we actually are, we don't need the laws anymore. We just act, we just act right <laughs> because it's in us to do that. Uh, we are compassionate then. We don't have to be told that we should love. We just do love because it's in us to do that. So we become the law. And Jesus, you know, when we talk about the Christian t- uh, texts, Jesus talks about the word righteousness. What he means when you get down to the root language there, the word righteousness actually means only Christ truly. That could also be only Buddha truly, only Krishna truly, only uh, the divine self truly, as it says in the Bhagavad Gita. So it, it, it what we're saying there is... Only the divine truly—that's who we actually are. When we become that, then we then we are righteous. So, uh, and by that I don't mean good. (laughs) What I mean is that we live according to our deepest love, and our deepest love orchestrates our choices instead of them being orchestrated out of a false dictate called morality. Morality is plastic in the face of divine self. It is plastic. And that's why being who we are as only Christ truly, only Buddha truly, only divine self truly is the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed. It's one answer to every single moral dilemma ever posed. Because morals are completely unnecessary once we get into that phase of our development. That's why I say this is the next step in our development. We've got to stop thinking in terms of duality in order to find who we actually are as one with the divine. Duality means not one. (laughs) It means two. It means there's a split off inside of us, where my divine self is over here, and something else is what's operating in my life, my identity, which is very often considered by me to be separate from my divine self. As a matter of fact, for me to be talking about being divine self would totally be considered to be blasphemy by many people. Jesus did it. And Jesus said, We are gods. Did your scripture not tell you that you are gods? And he was quoting a psalm when he said that. So, you know, we we all all the biblical texts from, you know, a Christian Christian perspective have been translated to from the dual dualistic perspective. But from the perspective of the root language, when we really look down at the root language and and see what that means, what we find is something entirely different from what we've been taught in the Christian texts and, and some of the Jewish texts, that we... Uh, that we are separate from the divine and we have to work our way back into it by being good people in some kind of way, doing the right ritual, saying the right prayer, going through the right um, motions, whatever those are, to, to convince the gods that we're actually good people and we should be allowed to have some good stuff happen to us and or get to heaven finally. So, but those are all myths. They don't tell us the truth. Every one of the sacred texts of the world ultimately say the same thing. We are gods. Yes, I'm saying that out loud. So if you want to say that I'm blasphemous, go ahead. I can live with that. But that's what we are. We are divine self and we just don't know it. Why? Because a long time ago we decided that in order for us to be in form, we must be separate from the divine. We're in matter now. We have a body and so because we have a body, we must be different from the divine who doesn't have a body. Therefore, we, we decided that we, that difference made us somehow bad, and therefore God was good, and we've taken the story from there. But really, f- we're finishing the process of creating form by coming into divine self as form. That's what we're doing here. We're coming into divine self as form. We're coming to know who we are as divine self while we live in a body which is also divine. Ultimately, what that might mean is we don't get sick and we don't die and the body moves on. Now, how that works, I can't tell you. But I know that form is not finished being creative. That's what I believe. You get to choose what you believe. So, if, in terms of what makes sense... Well, again, I have to say, I'm not certain of anything, but what makes sense, what fits with every one of the the sacred texts that I've explored throughout the years that I've done this work, is that there is no duality. There is no light and dark separate from each other. They all exist in the same frame, together. Behind light is dark. Behind dark is light. It's, there's not any separation the same is true of good and evil behind evil is good, behind good is evil you know, it's, it's, it's that you know, if I'm trying so hard to be good well, what, where, is that really good? that I'm trying to be good so that you'll like me so that you'll, you'll praise me so that you'll, you'll think I exist is that really good, seriously? you think that's what good is? I've got another definition for you that maybe have not, not, doesn't even use that word that might have something to do with compassion so we don't need our morals. We don't even need to feel guilty. That's another thing that our morals have told us, that if you feel guilty, well, that's a good thing because that means you've got a, a conscience and that means you're a, a good person. So to the degree that you feel guilty about what you've done, that's the degree to which you can claim you're right as a good person. <laughs> but, uh, but the truth is we don't even need guilt. If we have compassion, that's enough. We don't need guilt We don't have to feel guilty. Compassion is enough of a leader inside of us if we just hear it and respond to it. It by itself will take us where we need to go next. So we don't have to feel guilty. And that, again, takes us to a whole new paradigm of existence that isn't based in splitting ourselves off between ego and higher self or between good and evil or between God and Satan. It it, it really does put us together as one where I'm one with God, I'm one with man, I'm one with nature, I'm one with all. Therefore, my compassion is the only speaker in the room, because I'm connected to everything else and empathetically involved with everyone else. So, in terms of trying to understand why we suffer, why we suffer is because we think we aren't who we are. The reason we suffer is because we don't believe that we are divine beings that's why we believe we're shut off from the divine that we ha- we have to figure out how to get closer to the divine we can't really be divine but we can get closer to the divine if we just become good people and so we're trying desperately to make that happen sometimes or trying desperately to avoid that happening if we're going to be the psychopath i talked about earlier we, when we do that we're we're identifying with something so that we feel that we exist But if existence is in beingness itself, if existence is in beingness itself, then I don't need an identity to exist. I'm just beingness. So a lot of the paradigms we think are so true and have held onto for so long are about to fade. We need to be ready for this next shift. So we need to be thinking along the lines of what's going to happen when (laughs) we stop believing in good and evil anymore what will we do then what will we do with our prisoners what will we do with the sick and the, uh, uh, and, the and and what will happen about death what are, what's going to happen as we evolve closer and closer to who we are well i don't know i don't know what that's going to be like but i want to be open i want to be open that's what i want i hope you can be open too so when we're when we're processing through our own personal growth and asking ourselves why do these things happen? And every one of us asks that question. I've asked it. Everyone has, to ask, has asked it. And it hasn't been too long ago when I asked it. As a matter of fact, about three weeks ago, I found myself asking, why Why? Why do I know these things? And nobody listens when I know them. I say, look out. That's about to happen. And everybody goes, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then it happens. and then I And then I go, why didn't you listen to me? <laughs> Not like I'm the one that knows everything, but I did see it coming. And uh, so that's my need to control, okay? And when I have that need to control, I'm living in an illusion. I'm not living in reality. Is that good or bad? I don't know, but there it is. So that's what we've been talking about today. The contrasts in a picture highlight the edges of an object, but do we really need those highlights? Or is it okay to live in the blurriness around the edges? That's a question that we can ask, and maybe we'll get to an answer. I would challenge you to ask that question to yourself in your next meditation. See you next week. We'll be talking again on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.